Uh, so Baby BZ <laughs> will be premiering um, late October. October, early November. So um, we look forward to that production opening then and running every day for the rest of our lives. Yes. <laughs> There will eventually be other things too, but for the time being, we're very, very, very excited to be um, adding a new member of our family. Yay! That's fantastic. Amy and Nick Bennett's engine, Carrie Keebaugh, and Neil Leahy talk about excessive theater sets and memories of ultimate things. This is the Unreliable Narrator Theater Group's podcast. So let's uh, talk about Ultimate Things, which you all worked on. Oh, that was oh, that was <laughs> such a great show. Okay, so there's the scene where uh, she has some sort of terrible delusion or vision while she's while her friend is trying to make her garden, like demonic flowers and and, and grass, you like come to life and <laughs> tell her that she her life her life's not worth living and she should just die. And and that was um, Kim and 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 Nick Stevens, uh, you know, like uh, coming to life as grass people that with, again with those amazing costumes. I couldn't have pictured that at all <laughs> when I read the script. I was just like, so how are we going to do that, design team? Let's talk about this at a production meeting because oh my god <laughs> and. And it was so, it was just so great. Um, the way people reacted, especially, uh, you know, like most of the audience, uh, there were a couple people on the edges who might have seen Kim and Nick hiding behind the sofa, but the, for most of the audience could not. And then when they popped out, it was you, like you could hear gasps, like, mm. you know, like there was this huge shock uh, as, as, the, as the garden comes to life. And, you know, like, oh. Uh. I love that. I remember having to stare at Caroline's shoes <laughs> in that scene because I so badly did not want to react. But when I heard the audience react, uh-huh. you know, it's kind of hard not to uh-huh. react yourself. So mm-hmm. I was like, her shoes are very interesting. Yes, her shoes are very, very interesting. Most interesting <laughs> shoes I've ever seen. <laughs> I don't know. But also little things like Carrie, when, uh, when you came on uh, dressed to go out, clubbing or whatever it was yeah. they were doing and you were wearing a dress with leggings underneath and you were alone on stage and you just like you looked at your leggings and then you just like you're like all right and you just roll start rolling them up so they're hidden beneath the skirt it was just oh, yeah, perfect character note yeah that I, I had to get the zipper up by myself on stage I just remember standing on stage like I've got to do something <laughs> what would I do if I were headed to a concert oh the leggings would definitely go yeah. <laughs> I remember I had a lot of costume changes in in Jesusness too like I had more I had more quick changes in that show than I've had in like full length productions that I've done. I also remember being really nervous during um, the rehearsals for Jesusness because there was this one scene that I had where it was just me on stage and I was like watching TV coverage and trying to find passages in the Bible and praying and stuff like that, and it was a mostly silent scene. And I remember, like, that was the one that when we were going into Tech Week, I felt like I had not rehearsed enough. And I remember being so nervous about it that I actually took a day off from my day job and just stayed home with you drilling that scene because I'm like, I, I was so I was so scared. I was like, I got to get this right. I feel like I'm going to go up on something here. I'm going to read the wrong passage. Like, uh, <laughs> I was so scared. One last thing, uh, you know, Helen Colley had this ambiguous ending where Maggie was looking back on all the the damage she's caused. And she said, I I can't be sure I'll change. Check in in one year and uh, we'll see if I've caused enough damage to change the things I do. 
uh, what do you think happened? Oh, mm. I do. I do wish Caroline were here and we could ask her <laughs> <laughs> what she thought. What was that like from Sophie's perspective? Because you, you are sort of, you, it's a unique vantage point she has. I think, I mean, Sophie went along with this whole thing. But then for Sophie to look back and realize, I, I think Sophie was kind of used mm -hmm. in that situation. And I think she is self-aware enough to have been able to identify that and uh -huh. concerned enough with her own self-care. Uh -huh. I'm not sure how much she would have stayed in touch with Maggie in the future. And I'm not sure if I Sophie agree. didn't have someone, if Maggie didn't have a Sophie, what would have happened next mm -hmm. year, you know? And I just, I don't know, I don't. I, I don't like being the cynical person in the room, but I'm not sure it would have gone all that well for her, frankly. I don't know. I hope she got out of Hollywood. Yeah, and that that might be the only way I could believe that she'd really changed. Yeah, yeah same. So, because the the concern was writing the episode, writing an episode that her producer would want, right? And uh -huh. the end, she does. Yes. So everything she went through ostensibly I guess tells her you can you can make this work if you yeah you know if you do the drugs and you do all the things you can still pull it out you can of still pull it out of your air. ass at the last minute and yeah, it's fine exactly. yes I, I I think that's a lesson a lot of us have learned and then had to unlearn absolutely because um yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. it definitely applies it applies to me that like for for a long time I really could just keep you know not uh, screwing up I'm you know not drugs but you know uh, right. my own forms of screwing up staying up all night you know like yeah. plan using my time irresponsibly and and then still pull it out at the last moment um and I really had to I had to unlearn that lesson and she doesn't learn she doesn't unlearn that in Helen Collie so maybe if that were the next installment, I yeah. can see my way to believing that that should be okay. Yeah. Uh, Carl's shows always have the those kind of tech challenges. Uh, it's so rewarding. Um, yes, it, it really is. But yes. uh, you know, like you just you don't shy away from writing those scenes where they are now <laughs> falling through the air and then you know for five minutes and then are swallowed by a giant fish. Like how are we going to do that? <laughs> we'll figure it out. <laughs> right. You just you, you don't you don't let it stop you as a writer. You're like no matter how technically difficult it might be to pull off, and then we do pull it off, and it's amazing, and it's such a great feeling. <laughs> you know, like yeah. <laughs> yes. I had no idea how that was going to work when I read that in the script. Well, I think all of all the scripts that Carl writes aren't just necessarily like challenges for designers or actors. They challenge audience members too to use their imagination. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah they do. And they kind of create the ability for these sort of fanciful worlds to exist. And it doesn't have to be this... Uh, intensely high-budget theater set. We can right. have simple solutions to our problems mm -hmm. and still evoke this kind of fantastical world or solve this design challenge in sort of an elegant way that mm -hmm. still lets us use their imagination, which I think is super cool. I'm starting to think that for a small show, uh, sets can kind of be a hindrance. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and I can think of um, I can think of community theater shows where um, I think I, I watched the show and I think they would have been better off putting less into the set. Um, yep. Like a Kate, you know, like a Kate, sixteen different settings and they build them all <laughs> on a rotating stage right. and the scenes <laughs> right. last ten minutes and then they rotate the stage and it's just like oh no, right. oh no, don't do that. <laughs> or or they will. Um, 
or they will do a show that has multiple locations and the set transitions will just tack on so much time to to the show um and it's not necessary like I, I've seen it a lot in downtown theater. I don't know if you feel the same way about this, Amy, but um, downtown theater sort, sort of seems to be trending towards that uh, just quick movement type of, of transitioning to just keep the energy going. Or if there needs to be some sort of transition, have the focus be on some other type of action while the transition happens behind it. That way it doesn't feel like, um, you know, time is passing slowly. Yeah. I'm actually a fan of when community theaters keep the lights up a little bit so that the audience can see the transition. If the transition is really well rehearsed, Mm. I've actually heard audience members tell me I I liked seeing that. Mm. I, I understand now that there is a lot of effort involved in that and they don't like just sitting in the dark not knowing why they're sitting in the dark, but if they can see people moving things and changing things, then they're more willing to tolerate it, I think. So I'm, I'm okay, actually, with big set changes as long as they're rehearsed and as long as they don't drag out forever and as long as I can see, yes, they're rehearsed and yes, they're not going to drag out forever. Yeah, there's, there's a vision that, that integrates this into the right. viewing experience. Yes, yeah, that can, be, that can work really well. I've actually had the fortune of working with a really great director on multiple occasions who... Uh, that's like her thing. Like she doesn't believe in blackouts, right. you know, and the transitions happen. Um, like clockwork. Like yeah. clockwork, usually at the tail end of a scene that's still happening. Um, and most of the of the transitioning of like pieces and, and, and stuff are done by the actors themselves. It, like the lights went on for me. It's like, why isn't everyone doing that? Because <laughs> it's so smart. It's really smart. <laughs> In Boston, we have the oldest community theater in the country, Jamaica Plain. The Footlight Club has been around since the late 1800s. Oh, oldest so, con- continually operating. I think. Oldest continually operating. Um, Concord Players. They've all they got were, a slightly different claim to yes, con- Concord, yes, Concord Players. They've been around. They're doing their 100th season this year. Um, their claim to fame is that they were originally founded by Louisa May Alcott. Um, Arlington Friends of the Drama, continually operating since 1923. It's interesting to me how it's changed too as the decades have gone on because um, they're not, these these companies are not necessarily drawing on the talents of the people who live in the same town anymore. Um, there's a lot of people who live either, you know, the next town over or they're driving from like 40 to 50 minutes, uh, from 40 to 50 minutes away, uh, like I do for a lot of things. But a question that has come up across various uh, play reading committees that I've been on, um, and I'm not naming names, like, but anybody who's listening can probably figure out who I'm talking about, but the question that, that permeates play reading committees all the time is, what would the subscribers think? <laughs> so, um, How do they think they know? Right, it's like... Well, um, not to be too hard on some of the, these suburban theater communities trying to choose their seasons, but sometimes they have taken risks and those risks have backfired and they've lost a lot of money. And yep. you know, So they're yep. like, all right, got to do something safe, something we know will pack the seats. Right, so, yeah, that was that's do, that's the other big question. It's like, yeah. how do you get butts in seats? And like the the, the ticket sales and the, the, the cast, known shows... familiar shows. Bi- familiar shows, big cast, that's the thing. We tried an experiment once and it failed, so... Um, we're going to do cats. <laughs> Death of a salesman. Death of a salesman. Oh. I, your, your answer, though, got me thinking about um, 
10 minute play festivals as one way that a lot of community theater companies will engage with playwrights at the local level. Um, I, I love 10 minute play festivals. Can yes. I just say I love them? Yes. Yep. <laughs> I love them so much. Yep. Um, when I went to the Stage Source conference years ago, um, Patrick Gabridge gave a presentation and talked about Boston being a new play town. And he lists a lot of the companies that are uh, committed to doing new works. And there were a couple of community theater companies that made that list, Acme in Maynard being one of them because they have the New Works Winter Festival. So you get like 20 new plays. Um, playwrights locally and nationally get the chance to showcase their work in front of an audience. Uh, the uh, favorite script gets voted on uh, with an award for each track. A lot of more established companies are now starting to uh, pick up on that and say, hey, we should put together uh, you know, a 10-minute play festival too. So uh, I'll be honest, uh, in the script I'm basically just making fun of a phone call I got at work. Hello, welcome to the First National Bank of Malden. Yeah, I hope you can help me. Um, let me try and explain this. Recently, I've been making more money at my job than I actually spent. Ah, uh, good deal. <laughs> yeah, and now I got to thinking, uh-oh, right? I got to thinking, um, I'm making an extra $100, 200 300 I should have some place nearby where I could store the extra money in case I need it for something. Ah, you need a bank. Well, I, well hold on, uh, let me get through this. Okay. So I got to thinking, right? There should be an institution where the customer could walk in, hand over this money, maybe get a receipt, and then I could come back and pick it up later when I need it. Sure. So I was sharing this idea with a few friends at our golf game, and my friend Lyle says, hey, I know a place like that, and he gave me your address. So I, and I apologize for how long this is going on, but does your place, the um, First National Bank of Malden, uh, does your place provide any kind of service like that? We do. Oh, excellent. Now, the only thing is, and pardon me for going on even more, but I got to thinking more about it and I realized there was a problem. I mean, how could I be sure if I gave you this money, I could get it back? I, I mean, I'm not running a charity here, you know? So, uh, do you have some kind of system for that? Well, I guess that's a good question. Are you making fun of me? No, 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 no. I, I'm, hey, look, I'm no Einstein, right? Okay. Uh, just explain it to me like I was a little child. I, I promise I won't be offended. Well, every customer gets a number. Oh, a number. Cool. Uh, and for every bank account, and we track your deposits and withdrawals, so we always know how much money you have. And we have a few ways of making sure no one else gains access to your money. Uh, driver's licenses. Oh, yeah. uh, sometimes we'll ask for a, a utility bill or a social security number. We give you an ATM card and there's a password to that. There's, there's online banking too, so you can always monitor your activity. You thought of everything! <laughs> <laughs> So if you'd like, you can hand me a bit of cash, and I'll open an account for you. Wow, I, I am really impressed. I guess I'm not the first person with this great idea. Uh, great minds. Uh, yeah, I, I do have one last concern. Name it. Uh, 
You say, to get all this great stuff, I have to hand you the money. But Zeno's dichotomy paradox makes the point that for the cash to reach your hand from my hand, it must get halfway there. But before it gets halfway there, it must get a quarter of the way there, and then an eighth, and then a sixteenth, and so on. Since any distance in space can be divided in half, the money must cross an infinite amount of points to reach your hand. This is impossible, and therefore all motion is illusory, QED. Now, do you have anything to say about that? Uh, uh, I mean, no. We haven't solved the dichotomy paradox. We just kind of stick to banking. Oh, of course, of course. Um, well, don't feel so bad. They've been trying to solve it for nearly 2,500 years. I mean, I can't expect you to do it in five minutes. <laughs> I tell you what, um, here's my card, and if you see any movement on that Xenos thing, you just let me know. You're handing me your card in the same way you could just hand me your money, but okay. <laughs> oh, you got me there. Uh, can I use a bathroom before I go? The, uh, the, the bathroom is an infinite distance away. Oh, no, yeah. Hey, I worked in a place like that once, too. In January, at Arisia, we're performing part six of the Mrs. Hawking serial nice. theater. I'm very excited about that. Okay. PMRP is doing Gender Swap Star Trek, The Enterprise Incident. Yeah. And I am Miss Spock yeah. in that, and I'm very excited. And then August 23rd, I'm going to be in the cast of The Cask of Amontillado, also for PMRP. And in December, I'm going to be in their Christmas show as one of the Martians. We do Santa Claus Conquers the Martians every year. So I'm going to be part of the cast of that again. Um, it's an annual thing. So I'm in a soap opera right now, um, it's improvised, and it's serial, so like it uh, runs in episodes like a real soap opera. Yeah. And uh, the project is called To Be Continued, it happens at the Contemporary Theater Company on Thursday as part of like a bigger community festival, which is kind of cool. And um, there's exciting characters and love interests and people dying. I have an evil twin. Um, so I have to play my two parts on stage sometimes, which is exciting to get to improvise. And um, you can sort of watch uh, our soap opera, which is called The Tides of Our Lives, um, get written like live on stage. Um, the Independent, uh, which is the newspaper down in Southern Rhode Island, actually follows it. So like, if you're like, ah, I don't know what's happening, you can just pick up a copy and uh, look on that day, and it'll summarize the plot from the week before, which is exciting. <laughs> so it's just like the real thing, only um, <laughs> sometimes we don't know what we're doing and touch on other things that soap operas don't touch on. <laughs> Send your comments to unreliablenarratorpodcast at gmail.com. This program featured Amy and Nick Bennett-Zengen, Carrie Keebaugh, and Neil Leahy. Original material copyright 2020, all rights reserved. Visit unreliable-narrator.com or Twitter at QNarrator. Hey, I worked in a place like that once, too. Oh my god. Are you wiretapping my phone Because Jesus, dude, I'm like, there are people like, oh my god. Wow. Wow. Did you want to do it again or do something?